0: Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back with a message continuing in our series on Colossians. You can follow along with this message by opening up your Bible or your Bible app to Colossians 3. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or our Brookwood Church app. no other name. How does that name Jesus? How does it feel when you hear it? You know, we have names that are important to us. They, they strike us emotionally. You know, when I hear Leanne, when I hear Evan, Aubrey, Andrew, Ken, now Brooks, those names carry emotion. What does the name Jesus carry for you? What do you feel? What do you experience? We continue our survey on the book of Colossians, a great book. It's it's just a fundamental book for understanding the good news, not only what it is in theologically, but also how it's to be lived out practically. And today's message is entitled New Life. It's based on the first 11 verses of Colossians chapter three, which I think is the center of this really wonderful book, and it describes very clearly what it is to have new life. Now, Paul in this chapter moves from correcting false teaching. You've heard the other guys talk about uh, false teaching, which either was legalism or rigidity, follow these rules to be more spiritual, or spirituality. You know, you have to have this deep spirituality. You have to know these secrets, when in reality, the depth of the good news and the extent of the good news is Christ died for your sins and was resurrected, giving you new life. That's the depth. That's the breadth. That's the height of the good news. Now, Paul's instruction is moving from theological belief to practical life. The theme verse, if you can take out your message guide, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 since you have been raised to new life with Christ have you been raised to new life have you Larry you've been raised to new life you know what it feels like is it different than it was before completely completely different I knew you before (laughs) completely different but see, that's, that's what's implied here, it's new. So if your faith is not much different than the old you, than the you before you came to faith, something's missing. This life is of a completely new and different nature. It's distinct from what came before. So do you know what came before? And do you understand what it is to live in newness with Christ? Let's consider several of these aspects of supernatural transformation. New life with Christ first includes a new focus. Because we've received this new life with Christ, in other words, been born again, set your sights on the realities of heaven. And you can translate that set your sights as seek or desire or endeavor. In other words, focus on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now Jesus sits in this position of power and authority, which means he rules over this world. What difference does that make to you? It means he's near to God and he's making intercession for you continually. Does that matter in any way? See, whenever the scripture says something, you need to ask, what difference does it make? Or you can say it briefly, so what? Because if it's truth, it ought to have an influence and an effect on your life and mine. Verse two, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. We're selling a book that's really this book, David told you about it, Hidden in Christ, James Bryan Smith. It's 30 chapters. You could use it as a devotional. You have to catch up though, since today's not the first. But he says, Something very insightful, and the whole book is about Colossians chapter three. He says, Jesus did not die merely to get me into heaven, but to get heaven into me. That's very different, isn't it? We think of our faith, some of us think of faith as just a hopeful expectancy that after we die, we'll have admission to eternity. That's not new life. New life is to bring heaven into you presently. Well, what are you preoccupied with? You say, well, I don't know if it have heaven with me. Well, what are you preoccupied with? What do you think about? Now, you know, you read this and some of us grew up here in this, this sort of corn saying, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Any of y'all ever hear that? You have to be a little older to have heard that, which I qualify. Let me say this. Unless you're heavenly minded, you are no earthly good. And if you want to have an influence and you want your life to be useful eternally, you must be heavenly minded. This earth and all that you see is passing away. So how does this truth of you having an inheritance in heaven and Jesus' presence there speaking on your behalf continually, how does it impact you today? How does it influence your decisions? How does it control your attitudes on earth? Okay, this past week, you made many decisions. How many of you had any decision that was influenced by the fact that Jesus is in heaven interceding for you? Let me see some hands, I'll get them up. Because see, that ought to be reality. Because for us, remember, heaven is reality. It's just as real as you going to work tomorrow and having a boss. It's just as real. In fact, more real in many ways because that boss is passing away. You say, thank God for that. (laughs) If your mind is consumed with this world, what you can buy, where you can go, who you can date, what you can accomplish, how much money you can accumulate and what other people might be thinking or saying about you. If your mind is occupied with those things, you're earth bound, not heaven headed. Being heaven headed controls your life. Think about where you're headed right now should be controlling your life. Y'all know, I was in the fifth grade when I decided to be a lawyer. And um, you know the reason I've told you that. My fifth grade teacher said, you're so argumentative, you should be a lawyer. And I, I thought it was a compliment. But I was 10 years old, remember. So anyway, but it, it inspired me. So I decided I'm gonna be a lawyer, fifth grade. And you know what? Because I was headed for law school, it controlled my approach to schooling, particularly in college, but even, even to some degree in high school. I went to school, Georgia Southern undergrad, with 11 guys from our community. One of them graduated, and besides me, one besides me, But you know what? I went to class. I sat in the front. I took notes. I never cut class. I studied for tests. All these guys started getting all smoked up on marijuana, you know, in those days, it was in the 70s. I didn't even try that stuff. I didn't want anything new. You know why? Because where I was headed, I'm headed to law school. And almost all of them fell away because they didn't know where they were headed. Now you say, well, you're saying you weren't Christian. No, I wasn't Christian. And even so, where I was headed controlled my behavior. It's kind of like Galatians talks about, we have a, a tutor. The law, it keeps us going in the right direction until we meet Christ. And it was almost like this calling from God kept me going this direction until I met Christ as a senior in college. Where are you headed? Because wherever you're headed will control your life. And if you say, I don't know, your life will look like you don't know. Colossians chapter three, verse three. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Have you died to this life? You have to answer that. Have you died to this life? You go, well, I don't know what that means. Well, that's a problem. Are you dead to this life, or is everything you really value, everything that interests, motivates, and excites you, part of this world? If we could put on this screen everything you thought about in the last week. Somebody was nervous over here. How much of it has anything to do with heaven or eternity? If I could take the whole bucket of everything you've thought about. You say well I'm glad that doesn't happen. Well it does happen in the mind of God. But it's very telling of us isn't it? What am I thinking about? What, what am I interested in? What motivates me? What excites me? Look at Galatians 2:20. It's just a parallel cross reference. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Larry, I knew the old Jew. That guy's dead. Do you know that? You're glad, aren't you? You were a likable guy then. Well, there were some other characteristics that weren't as, but but you were a likable guy. But that guy's dead. And it shows in your life. Let me ask this another way. Do you feel out of place almost all the time? Do you feel out of place Do you feel like you don't fit in? Let me see some hands. You feel like you're out of place. You feel like you don't fit in. You feel like you're disconnected from what's going on in this world. You could care less about keeping up with the Kardashians. That amazes me. Those women are making the money they are. I mean, I'll show y'all a little skin. Am I gonna get... I don't know. It's amazing to me. I mean, it's an indictment on our culture that you can be that wealthy with that little talent. I've got skin. Y'all want to see it? <laughs> well, that's what you ought to be saying to them, too. Lord. Now that I'm making y'all mad, I got another indictment coming. It astounds me what college football coaches are making today. It's, it's, it's a crime, y'all. But what it shows is where we're headed. It shows what matters to us. You got a college coach making $10 million a year. And the most highly paid people in our culture, they're not educators, they're not scientists discovering how to cure disease. They're entertainers, and not even many of them are that good. <laughs> They're athletes. That's an indictment on who we are as a people. Look what we value. When you hear this, do you say, well, I, don't, I can't identify with that. I just don't fit in. I can't find contentment here. Anybody feel like that? I just can't get, I can't get comfortable in this world. That's how you should feel. You shouldn't fit in this world. You think Jesus fit in this world? And you ought to be like him. What is your real life? If you're in Christ, your your true identity is eternal. Your purpose and plan for life is found in Christ. Which does mean that your true life, the essence of your identity is invisible to most people. That's why they don't understand you. People don't understand you. You're odd. Not just personality. (laughs) That's odd too, but I mean, you get what I'm saying here. You get what he said. We ought not fit in so well. I don't mean be arrogant. I don't mean be obnoxious. I don't mean be difficult. That's something else. I'm talking about we ought not fit in too well because we are heavenly bound. And so we don't live like everybody else. Our real life is with Christ hidden in God. You said, but that's a lonely life. That's why you must develop relationships with like-minded people. You know, I've been gone for a while, y'all know that. And the great, these, these other pastors were outstanding, weren't they? I was here about half the time. And that's important on so many levels because you know what? What's important is not Perry's, Voice or personality—it's not my voice you need to hear. It's God's voice you need to hear, and you know what? Preaching is truth through personality, and you need to hear it from different personalities in different voices. But but when I come back here, I was here yesterday, doing some things, and I just stood in here, and I just I prayed, you know. And I tell you, when I when I come in here, you know what I, what I feel is. These are my people. Do you feel that? These are my people. And we, we share an outlook on life. And, and Brookwood people are rare and they're unusual in more than one way. But one of the wonderful ways that you are unusual is that you accept everybody. Doesn't matter what they look like, what they own, what they possess, where they've been, or what they've done. I don't know a church in America better at that than this church right here. But you have to find your place with the people of God. Because you can't you're not gonna find this deep fellowship, friendships with people who don't have new life with Christ. You don't have the same values. They shouldn't really understand you and you shouldn't really understand them. Your peace in this world comes from discovering and pursuing God's plan for you with a few other like-minded people. You know, there's a lot of you that, that serve the homeless on Saturdays downtown. And some of you have big, important jobs and titles and salaries and all the rest. But I would venture a guess that you feel most at home helping those people with some like-minded people around you. You know why? Because it fits the way your soul is crafted. It fits the purpose of your existence. You say, well, I just can't get really satisfied at work. You're not supposed to. You're just making a living there. You're making a life in Jesus Christ. It's completely different. It's completely different. Not only do we find our true satisfaction in pursuing God according to the way he's crafted us, but we also get rewarded for living lives that are faithfully trying to pursue Christ. Look at this, chapter three, verse four, it's, and when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. That cannot be right, that must be a misprint. Why would God let you share? Why would he let you share with Christ? Does that make any sense? Because he chose you and he adopted you and he elevated you. And you know what? You, you, you may not know this, but Jesus is seated up there in the heavenlies. Guess what? He moved over. So there's a place on the seat for you. And you are seated in the heavenlies as a heir with Jesus. So that couldn't be. It's true. I don't deserve that. Maybe not, but you got it. That's what grace means. So we'll share in his glory. Now that is if you've spent your life pursuing, serving the cause of Christ, not pursuing personal success according to this culture's definition. You just have to choose how you use your life. It's amazing to me how we let business and promotion completely control our lives. Where we live, what we do, how we use our time. And our spiritual life just becomes a leftover. A leftover. Is that fair? What do you think, Robert, is that right? Am I missing the point? I need an answer. Is our mind focused? Is our attention fixed on Jesus? Do we care about his purpose, his plan, his word, his voice to direct our lives? New life in Christ also includes a new nature. See, when you have new life in Christ, which means you've been born again, you You have a completely new nature and it'll be displayed through changed behavior, through different desires and through an ability to resist sin. Verse five. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Are there any sinful earthly things lurking within you? Come on, most of y'all think there's not. If you think you have some sinful earthly things lurking within, let me see some hands. All right, there you go. Now we got some honesty or else I wasn't gonna let y'all go home. (laughs) There are some sinful earthly things lurking within us, but they don't have to be. See, this this business of saying, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, that is not who you are anymore. You're a new creature Creation in Jesus Christ. And your life is not your own. Now you live Christ's life in you. The hope of glory. So if you're not changed, there's something wrong with that. You aren't a slave of sin anymore. Unless you choose to be. Or unless you've really never encountered the Savior. You say, well, this is, but, but, but there's sin in all of us. Well, here's, here's, here's why. And I want you to understand this. Even after we're born again, we still reside in a body and we have a mind. You know, our mind is a physical thing. Memory resides in the wrinkles and chemicals and hormones. But we reside in a body with a mind that's not completely Transformed. In Greek, what's that called? Have these guys been not asking y'all questions? Huh? Come on, what is it? What's this body called? The unredeemed. It's the flesh, it's the physical body that's not redeemed yet. But it's in a process of being redeemed, and it's being refined. You know what? Your mind ought not be this, thinking about the same things today as it was a year ago if you're in Christ. You ought not be drawn to the same stuff you were a year ago before you, or before you came to Christ. Because you know what? You're being refined. You're being conformed to Jesus Christ. You're making progress in that area. So you aren't a slave of sin. And you possess the spirit of God and the spirit of God by his power, we can put to death sinful earthly things. Does that sound violent? Does it? Does that sound violent? What well, y'all can't take the, Y'all can't get the accent anymore. Does it, sound, does it sound deliberate? Yes, you must put it to death but the spirit enables you to put it to death. Before you were born again, you couldn't claw it out of who you were. It was part of your identity. There was no separating from it. He continues, have nothing to do with sexual immorality. And sexual immorality is every kind of sexual activity outside of biblical marriage or impurity or lust or evil desires. See, sexual immorality, it's interesting scripture says that sexual sin is the only sin that's against our own body. And I told you our body is the flesh and it's not completely redeemed, but you know what you do? When you engage in sexual sin, you create more corruption in your body. You create greater corruption in your mind and in your thinking. Sexual immorality counterfeits what should only be found in marriage, which is affirmed by God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach a series on marriage in the fall. So if you are married or you want to be married or you've been married before and you hope to be married in a better way next time, I urge you, plan to be here to, pull, to dive in because we're going to explore why is it that something that began by God, that was instituted by God has such a high fail rate. And why is it that Christians have just as high of a failure rate as those who don't profess faith? We wanna explore that, I hope you will. Does that interest you? Well, you plan to be here and plan to bring somebody else a single person that needs to know how to be married in Christ. Even someone who's tripped up before or someone in a marriage that's teetering. Sexual sin is an expression of self-worship because it's exalting my own physical desires instead of God and his desires. It's really me saying, I know what's best for me. You know what? Christians cannot say that. It is cold, isn't it? Christians can't say that. We never know what's best for us if what we think is best is different than what God thinks. Sexual addictions, you know why they're so hard to break? Whether it's it's immorality, promiscuity, homosexual practice, pornography, any of those things, because they provide pleasure, but they also alter brain chemistry. They enclose you in guilt. They isolate you from God, which is the power source. It's hard to relate closely to God when you're immersed in shame, isn't it? And they provide a diminishing return. Completely different than than a blessed sexual relationship in marriage, which can continue to grow richer. See, if it's only a superficial thing, then it's dull and boring quickly. You see what I'm saying? Because there's no spiritual, emotional connection. It's really almost animalistic. And we wonder why people are so burnt out on it. But, But it's really, in its essence, it's a hunger, it's a thirst for the metaphysical. It's really a thirst for God. To touch something eternal. And you know what? Physical pleasure is all people without Christ have. And that's why there's so many different varieties, whether it be sexual. And now there's all this deviance that's just coming, isn't it? It's surprising. More and more deviant. Drugs of every kind. You think, why would somebody take that fentanyl knowing how many people it kills? There's just a thirst to fill that empty, hollow void inside with something Avoiding immorality is possible. But it won't be accomplished passively. It will require deliberate effort. But you're not on your own. God gives the strength in his spirit. Paul continued in verse five. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, how much do you think about what new thing you need? You can really get caught up in it, can't you? Well, I got to change to this color. So what what color tone is in right now? Come on. Gray. Gray. (laughs) Is your house blue? Who are you? You're a nobody. And for goodness sake, it better not be brown or or some ivory tone, goodness. There's nothing wrong with repainting your house, but how much does it matter to you? How much does it matter to you? See, a greedy person isn't content with what God's given. Whether it be a lot or a little, Paul said, be content with either. So this this, greedy person is trying to gain some satisfaction by grabbing a hold for, for myself. God won't give it to me, I'm gonna get it myself. Accumulating, consuming what this world offers. And let me tell you, it doesn't satisfy, but it will distract. I mean, something new distracts, right? I mean, you got this new blouse. But it's interesting that once you cut those those tags off, it sort of diminishes, doesn't it? And once it goes through the washing machine, I mean, for goodness sakes, I wonder if I can still take it back. I got my car washed a while ago. It's probably been a month or so. Mine's the dirty one out there. You write your names on it, please. I'd love to know you pass by. But I took it to one of these, you know, you pay them and they run it through all the machines and everything. And in that place, they sold this wonderful exotic spray You know what it is? New car. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm saying, well, I can spray it inside my 2003, but do you have some that'll spray everybody around me so they'll think it's new too? (laughs) How do I know if I'm greedy? Do you give? If you don't give... You're greedy because you're not relying on God to give you not only what you need, but enough to give some away. Verse six, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when, you, when your life was still part of this world. Do you think God judges all sin? Y'all answer me. Every sin, every particle, every piece, every word, every action. You really believe that? All of it now, I'm talking about all of it. Some of you have a wagon load. Every bit of it? A just God must pum- must punish every grain of sin. If you're an unbeliever, you receive that punishment individually and personally. If you're a believer, if you've been born again, then every part and parcel of your sin has been punished in Jesus Christ, personally, individually, in your place. Do you realize that? You know, we can say these theological things so quickly. Jesus died for my sins. No, no, think about it. Think about how ugly you were yesterday to your sister. You see what I'm saying? Think about how rude you were, how critical you were, how sarcastic you were. Yes, that. And when you start feeling how personal Jesus' sacrifice was, it alters how you view him. Doesn't it, Michael? It, it, may, it creates some appreciation, doesn't it? That's the right attitude. Paul continued his list, verse, verse eight. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Because you know what? Our words reveal the state of our souls. Luke 6, 45. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off the old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Also Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. Why do we lie? Say it, somebody say it loud. Fear of man. What do you mean by fear of man? That's exactly why we lie. Because we want to control how we're viewed by other people. But when we walk close to God and we know that in him we're holy, in him we're righteous, which just means we're right with him. We won't fear what people think or say about us. We are content in Jesus Christ. Paul continued, put on your new nature, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. It's an ongoing process, but the way we're, we're refined in our faith is by an increasing knowledge of God. But this isn't cognitive, this is experiential. But it's like putting on clothes. Do you have to do something to put on clothes? Don't you? That means if you want to know God, you have to do something. Did you put on Christ today? When'd you put him on? What? 730. You, is that what you said? 730? 330. You just can't sleep. But see, you put on Christ. What do you take him off at night? No, you sleep in him too. You see what I'm saying? You put him on. And you're always putting him on, which makes you aware of you're in him and he's in you. That's putting it on. But it's something you do. We learn to know our creator, which causes us to become like him. I'm not gonna show you Romans 12 too, but look at that. Knowing God comes from experiencing his truth. We believe a lot of lies. We believe lies about ourselves. We believe lies about God. And those lies that we believe guide our lives into regrettable places. And you know what? Knowing a verse somehow won't displace that lie, does it? I mean, how many did something yesterday that they knew the Bible said don't do? Yesterday. But what happens is if you hear God's voice, he'll change that lie in an experience. That's what we do in transformation prayer. You can line up down there at the Be Encouraged house to help you, not to counsel you, to help you hear God so he changes the lies you believe into his truth. do you have a new nature? This new life with Christ also includes a new status. Verse 11. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric uh, the barbaric people, they, they weren't eloquent. They stammered, they stuttered, they, you know, they were kind of backwards. Uncivilized, uh, literally the Greek says Scythians and they were really these violent, uneducated, inferior people, cruel people, harsh people, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Now, The idea of putting all these people in the room together, Greeks, Jews, barbarians, Scythians, it was unthinkable. These different groups of people, they disliked each other. They avoided each other. And yet they were all brought together in the church. You see, Jesus eliminated the boundaries. He he destroyed the barriers because his sacrifice displayed that all were sinful. The Jews weren't less sinful than the Gentiles. They weren't closer to God. They'd had more teaching about God. But everyone is in need of God's grace equally and and everyone is desperate for his forgiveness. And that Jesus only died once for all of us. But the gospel had a different significance for each group, I believe. As well as each individual. Individual depending on their background, depending on their experiences. All of them were equally in need, regardless of race or ethnic identity, and like us, regardless of educational attainment, social standing. But we all have the same need for Christ to forgive us, and we're we're all equally accepted, even loved by God. Every person is created by God, but every person is not a child of God except by faith. But every person has planted within the image of God. And because of that, they're deserving of respect and dignity and Brookwood people, that's what you do best, dignifying and respecting people. See, because we come from all these different places there's no place for bigotry or prejudice in a church. There's no sense in making comparisons. And there's no sense in comparing the ones who were just deeply in, in obvious sin and ones who have their sin hidden very well. It's all the same. Both of them cost Christ's life. Some of you are just more clever at hiding it than others. That's just pride. Pride. And pride is always an expression of insecurity. I need to be better than somebody. We've been baptized into one body. We follow the same faith. We share the same Holy Spirit. We benefit from the same death and resurrection. Our differences are unimportant to God and they should be insignificant to us. do you treat people differently according to superficial characteristics? You got to answer that. You don't have to answer it out loud, but answer it in your soul. Do you treat people differently according to external superficial characteristics? Might be racial skin color. Could be just attractiveness. If so, it reveals a shallowness of your soul, the weakness of your faith, if you can't see the image of God in another person, regardless of how soiled it may be at the point. Now here's a different but related question. How do you identify yourself? If I just ask you all, give me one word to identify yourself. One word. Do you identify yourself racially, ethnically, professionally, socially or spiritually because your answer will reveal how you view people is that what you see first see our faith should be our defining characteristic not the color of our skin we're different in lots of ways racially culturally experientially and God, bless God, I'm so thankful that this church is becoming more diverse. We've got a ways to go. But we need some diversity. We don't need a bunch of white middle-class people only. But you gotta be warm and you gotta invite and you gotta care about these things. And you gotta be able to dignify people, truly. Because you know what? It is easy to smell out. But the, div- the differences give richness and texture and depth not only to our church, but our understanding of the gospel. Do you know that we don't experience the gospel in the same way? You take a, a white man and a black woman, our experience in the gospel is likely to be different based on our life experience. You understand? Some of you that grew up in these little Baptist churches like I did and others grew up Catholic. Some of you grew up North. Some of you grew up down South. Like DC Talk said, it's a rich kaleidoscope. Skin kaleidoscope is what they said. But we need to hear the gospel from each person because that's where the richness is. The the good news is the same theologically. It's not experienced the same by every one of us because it encounters us in our life and in our experience and in our wounds, in our suffering, in our joy, in our sadness. Do you have a new status? Have you received new life? Our counselors are here. They're in the care connection room. Come and speak with them. They'll anoint you with oil for healing if you like. This book is for sale. Counselors, you come on up. You just can come up. They'll be here as long as you need them. Father, we thank you for new life in Christ. Help us to put it on every day as you conform us to look more and more like your son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at org, or call us at 864 688 8326 Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day